Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I am here with my co-host, Nick Houston. Happy to join you. <laughs> Nick, it's good to have you here today. We are, this is our first time recording since it started uh, the fall weather. And I just want to say it is beautiful outside. It is beautiful outside. I'm so thrilled that it just quit raining for a while. Yeah. Oh, man. It was raining nonstop. It felt like we lived in Seattle for a little bit. I got mushrooms growing in my yard. <laughs> stuff in Don't my... eat the mushrooms, Nick. Don't eat the oh, mushrooms. Oh, man. It is. Yeah, it's crazy <laughs> how much it rained there for a while. So, yeah, to get that fall weather blast. I've already showed up to work in flannel and corduroy. Yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. And uh, you and I have started a new uh, practice together. Uh, which is getting together in the mornings a couple times a week and, and mm-hmm. working on our physical uh, our physical body, which is passing away. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's... We heard Bill's call in January to be fit. <laughs> that's right. For and the we, Lord. And we are trying to be fit Physically for the Lord. fit. Um, that's been good, though. It's been, uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun to do that. Today we're going to talk about something that's a little less physical, uh, or at least is traditionally understood to be a little less physical, and that is... Heaven. And so we, we spent a couple, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about Satan and hell and some of the uh, darker forces, spiritual forces that are out there. And today I thought what we could do is just kind of have a laid back discussion on the nature of heaven and what we think about heaven as well as angels and, and the kind of positive spiritual side of things. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll just jump in, but uh, we'll see. And I love the way I, I want to do the same thing here where we talk about like pop cultures, you know, yeah, imagination around heaven, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, versus what the Bible says about heaven. Well, let's start by uh, let me start by just asking you a question like, uh, what, what is heaven to you? How did you grow up thinking of heaven? Oh, heaven is the eternal glory of God, the presence of the Almighty. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> it is. Uh, you're gathered around the throne worshiping. Just singing all the time? Yeah, holy, holy, holy. That's it. For all right. eternity. I'm watching the rainbows shoot out of the throne and <laughs> the four-faced <laughs> winged you know, creatures <laughs> praise God and the angels cast down their crowns right. walking on a golden street in a glassy sea. Yeah, all right, all right. So you got that kind of uh, image of uh, the new heaven and the new earth that we see in the book of Revelation, right? The, the, the golden streets and the pearly gates right and the river of life that flows from the yes, throne indeed. yeah yeah man okay we're getting it all <laughs> getting it all <laughs> all right so that's that's how you grew up thinking of heaven or that's how you think about heaven now or has that changed at all um i uh, oh gosh i hope my mom doesn't listen to this one um <laughs> That is how I grew up. Yeah. And that certainly, I mean, it's in the book. So it's in the book. I believe As there's we something said to many that. times, if it's in the book, it must be important. Right. But I do, I, I don't know if I'm still on board with the all heaven is, is the eternal praise of God. Okay. Okay. Because that is sort of like what I was told as a kid. Right. Right. And I don't know. I feel like maybe. Maybe there's some other stuff going on. Some other stuff going on, yeah. <laughs> it may be possible to praise and worship God while doing other things, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's not just all about singing or 
We we oftentimes so. I think we oftentimes think about praise and worship even in our mortal lives, the mortal coil that we still have today. Uh, and we often think about worship as being something that has to be singing, and you really can do praise and worship with anything that you do. We can do this podcast in a, in a praise and worship mindset, uh, which we don't, but we should. We should. I don't know. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I do too. Um, um, yeah, my my um, grown up thoughts I think are fueled a little bit by the understanding, well, attempting to understand what I think God was going for when He created humanity to begin with. Yeah, um, in the Garden of Eden, sudden, and how a new heaven and a new earth might look like what God started out with in okay. Eden. Yeah, yeah, and I think so, that's good. Yeah, so I'm 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 more prone to believe that, based on other stuff in Scripture, you know, that we are going to have a physical body and there's going to be something to do. Right. right. Um, I don't know. Maybe that thing to do is to eternally praise God, but maybe it's to eternally praise God while we also explore a creation. Yeah. That is not fallen. That is yeah. not broken. That doesn't require us to suffer and die right right um but provides an outlet for god's created curiosity in us yeah i like that that's really good um, um i mean maybe that's a little influenced by star trek <laughs> star trek Wait, what are you thinking of in star trek oh just the um that to boldly go where to no man has gone go before you no know man. like yeah okay our you know three-year mission i like that idea of of what heaven might be like is to kind of explore a whole new creation that has been restored or resurrected uh, rather than, you know, just kind of bumming around a, a garden or, you know, like there's a, like, it seems like to, what you're saying is uh, that we will not have lost our drive, uh, our curiosity or uh, our, you know, like to, to explore creation maybe is to get to know God better, uh, even in the situation where. Yeah, because I don't think in that resurrection we necessarily are then like, god and have perfect knowledge or perfect you know yeah yeah like I, there would still be things to learn and sure you know I, I i think about that being the limitation of having to endure time that i can't get to everything that i want to do and yeah. so i imagine you know what if heaven is having the time to do everything you want to do there's a there's a philosophy called existentialism, which you may or may not have heard of. It's kind of a word that's thrown around, popular. Um, but that's kind of the definition of heaven and hell in, in certain, in, in a particular philosopher I'm thinking of, um, where he says basically, like, the, the hell of, of existence, you know, is that when you make a choice to do something, to spend your time in one direction, you're making a choice not to do the other thing in the mm. other direction. So the hell is that you have to live with the limitations that you've set on your own experience and own uh, existence. Hmm. But in the world that you were describing, heaven would be never having to say, shut one door to open another, because mm -hmm. you're going to have, uh, for for lack of a better word, time to to explore all things, right? And right. That's, yeah, I could see that being, uh, I could see that being very attractive. We have spent time on the podcast talking before about The Good Place. Yes. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, and I don't know. Did you get to the end? Did you ever get I to the end? I have not gotten to the end yet, no. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. 
Let me guess. They make it to the actual good place. Yes. I'm going to guess that probably the whole the door gets kicked open and everybody gets into the good place. Uh, Not exactly. Okay. Okay. No. So but, okay. but what they encounter is their own sort of existential crisis like you were describing where they get bored. In heaven? Yes. In the good place? Yes. Yeah. They get bored in the good place because there is infinite time and they have done everything they wanted to do. Wow. So what did they decide to go back to the... They go to nothing. They just decided not to They exist. eventually choose to, yes, wow. go through another, yet another door yeah. that leads to somewhere they don't know. So that it's not necessarily nothing. It, it just, may not be. It's just they don't know what it is. So it's, But they're done with a good place. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And, it, of course, I'm sitting there going, I would get bored. But, 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 I will say the conception of the good place was that you can have anything you can think of. Okay. So there is no need for work. So there's nothing to challenge you. There's no, right. So like, um, what is the philosopher character's name? Cheadle? Cheedy. 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 Cheedy, you know, is like, oh, I'm going to meet some of the great thinkers, you know. Right, right. And he finds that they've gotten dumb. Yeah, because they, they've lost. Because they don't have to think about anything. Right. They, they're, you know. Wow, that's interesting. And that makes sense. Uh, it, so, well, if you assume this, this, and this, it so, makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. If, if you assume that heaven is a place where you just get what you want, then that that's places such a limitation on what heaven can be. Uh, and you could run through the gauntlet of your entire imagination and never get to the place that God wants to give us because no mind can conceive, right? What God has prepared for those who love him as scripture tells us. So to limit that, just that shows us kind of the limitations of imagination within that TV show. But I think also a lot of people think of heaven is going to be something like that. Yes. I mean, I think it does accurately reflect what a lot of people think. And yet that all that does is demonstrate like how little we think of God, right? Because to, to think that heaven is just you getting what you want. You know, that you're able to, it's like a holodeck, right? To bring Star Trek back over. Right. And you can just kind of throw up anything. Uh, There's a, and this is, this is my question about heaven. So to, to this, this is a great place to bounce off because I grew up the same way you did and thinking about heaven the same way that you described it earlier. And that it's this kind of physical location. It almost has a physicality to it, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, we have a body. We have, a, uh, you know, uh, a resurrected body. And I grew up thinking that it's, it's exactly like that. And maybe we are singing praises and worshiping God all the time. Or maybe we're getting what we want. Or maybe all these things have entered in and out of my sure. kind of understanding uh, throughout time. But as I've, as I've um, gotten older and have lived long enough and, and thought hard enough about some of these things. I, I think um, one of the things I've noticed about human nature, about who we are as human beings, is we need challenge and struggle in order to have meaning in life. And if we don't have things that challenge us or struggles, so if you don't have suffering, then you can never truly like have meaning in joy and in celebration. It's like these two things almost have to go together. Um, which is actually, um, it, it, 
which is so so to think about a heaven as an eternity and, and to think about eternity then as a stretch of time which we often do right so we're talking about eternity as right. a stretch of time uh which just lasts forever which is not something any of us can conceive and then that that place is just never a struggle never uh any kind of pain or never suffering nothing there that's gonna you know no tear no death no nothing like that all those things have been wiped away um, which truly, truly, the scripture says that, and I believe that. But then the question becomes, where are we going to find meaning in that? How are we going to maintain identity? You know, you talked about the mm-hmm. philosophers who got dumb, and then the people just got bored, right? Right. Then that's where this idea of, man, heaven isn't anything like that. Whatever heaven is, it can't be that. What You know, the description of kind of this eternal time, where we just get what we want, or even at eternal time where we're just sitting praising God all day, all day long, it's not. It can't be that, or at least it can't be only that. There has to be something else that we cannot even conceive, where we're sitting in full relationship with God, and that's where the kind of the source of the meaning comes from. And I don't know what that you know. That's well, that is an interesting. The, I don't know what you think. The, the um. The proposition that we derive meaning from our suffering or that there's got to be a challenge, like we've got to have some obstacle to overcome in yeah. order to derive usefulness. Yeah. Um, that idea that for two things to exist, there, there's got to be like this opposing force. Right. Which is it's not even a necessarily an opposing force. It's just there has to be a comparative element in order for you to draw meaning. So like you don't know what light is if you don't know what dark is, mm-hmm. right? I mean that you just don't see it. You don't know what dry is unless you know what wet is. Like and when it comes to pleasure, you don't know what pleasure is unless you've suffered pain. You don't know how to drive. We don't learn lessons from from we don't let me say it this way we don't often learn lessons or meaningful deep life-changing lessons from joy we don't learn it from pleasure we don't learn a lot of things when things are going good for us in life we don't really learn much right because there's no need to it's when things have fallen apart or when our lives have hit a, a patch where there's darkness and pain and suffering that you begin to really search for meaning and then in that search you find you learn you learn something you become something else you grow out of that 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 is something go go ahead yeah there's something in me that says i don't feel like that has to be true okay and i can't figure out a good way to (laughs) well so uh, i so i've wrestled with that too right so i this is I'm, i'm this is kind of where i've landed but i also understand this and this is where i love talking about the mystery of god and how there are aspects of our own identity and our own way of being human that we don't fully access Mm-hmm. And because we've been blocked off because of sin or because of corruption, however you want to talk about it, mm-hmm. I'm best. I'm guessing that God has designed us to actually have meaning and to to derive value from just living in a joyful existence. I bet we're designed to do that. I bet. I bet that's like a hidden program, like, like yeah. an Easter egg program written in us. That. But we don't have access to that right now. And so we get moments of joy in this life that maybe we can learn something from. Certainly, certainly true joy, you learn about the presence of God and you, you grow in that way. But just in general, as we live our own lives, we don't learn a lot about who we are or about uh, anything else in the creation when we're doing great, when we're doing fine. Mm-hmm. 
in general, right? But I don't think that, I think I, I have the same suspicion that you do, that that's not quite how we're designed to work. That's just how we all work as a fallen being. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, I like the, I, I, I really, I don't know. I guess it feels a little bit like a cop-out, but I do like the idea that there's this mystery of God. Yeah. There's this, you know, we just, we just can't know. We're human. Right. It's beyond our conception. Right. So before you came in here, I was actually having a conversation with Elizabeth and Catherine uh, about this very thing we were talking about, uh, the resurrection of the body. And I forgot why we even got on this conversation, but um, we were talking about how how you wrestle with that understanding. So I think you and I both have probably, you and I both have probably um, have heard that, you know, when you die, your spirit, your soul goes to heaven um, or, or not heaven. <laughs> right. Um, and then, it, you know, and there are some versions of heaven that are out there that, that I've heard and I grew up with that are very much the stay that stay that way. We have this kind of this, um, disembodied spirit or soul mm-hmm. that are kind of floating around in some kind of spiritual space that we can't understand with God and with our family and with the people that we love. Yep. But scripture clearly tells us, and our the Apostles' Creed that we say every Sunday talk, talks mm-hmm. about a bodily resurrection. Jesus Christ came back with a body. He didn't come back as a soul or spirit. Right. And Paul Not tells us. And, yes, exactly right. And Paul tells us that we will have the same kind of resurrection. And when they ask Paul, you know, well, what's that body like? What's the resurrection body like? Paul's like, that's a dumb question. Nobody knows. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Just do the things you're supposed to be doing right now with the body you have right now. Yeah. But having said that, one of the things that Catherine brought up, and I think this is kind of a one of the things that when we think about heaven and, and the resurrected body, I think comes up when you start to talk about people who are disabled or people who are yeah. differently abled or people who uh, have Down syndrome or people who have some kind of ailment mm-hmm. that uh, has brought them amount of suffering and pain or has 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 not been traditionally seen as something that you want to have, right? In all those right. cases, there are situations where people become, uh, and people are, um, um, you, you totally, you know, totally blessed with, with how they are. But, but generally speaking, when we think about what our resurrected body is going to be like, we're thinking of like the most perfect form of what our body is. Yeah. I'm going for six feet, <laughs> six foot one, <laughs> 215, 8% body fat, 17 inch arms. Like, I got a pretty good vision. vision I got a pretty good vision of what the heavenly body should look like, resurrected body should look like. But so the problem with that becomes, though, that when we start to craft that image of the perfect body in heaven, it, it starts to. It starts to impact and infect the way that we think about our bodies now. And so the person who might be uh, in a wheelchair, for whatever reason, becomes less human or becomes like their body is less human or the person who lost an, a limb or the person who's blind or the person who's deaf or, or the person who you know has some other physical uh, thing that we consider not normal, right? All of a sudden, what we're saying is, well, they're further away from being perfectly human than I am or than somebody who is, you know, got all their ostensible you know, parts working in the right way. Does that make sense? So, like, uh, what, what do we do with that? How do we talk about I'm that? 
that's, I, I'm, that's kind of a grenade. I'm gonna just throw at you. There. I, I was talking. I was playing with that grenade earlier with Catherine uh, and Elizabeth, but now I'm gonna throw it at you. Yeah, because are you are you saying then that uh, someone who in this life does need use of a wheelchair yeah should not want to not need it in the next life i don't know that this is what i'm asking <laughs> because i i just I, what i'm i think what i'm trying to get at is that our ours like again our limited imagination yeah how how fickle and how shallow we are where we think of perfection as being this kind of uh, you know this resurrected perfected body as being something that is going to be somehow related to our own that we can we can just project the best version of us, and that's what God wants for us. As though God's li- mm-hmm. uh, God's imagination is limited to, you know, what we can imagine. Like, right, right. F- who knows how God? Well, gonna- and there's a because I think there. Well, all right. I mean, you go to a funeral, yeah, and you have a conversation about we will see them in glory on the other side, right? right? Yeah. Well, if they don't look like themselves, how am I gonna them? know? You're right, right. I mean, although. You know what's funny about that is, um, so the only the only the only uh, source that we have for under trying to understand what a resurrection body might look like is Jesus and the stories that we find in the gospel. Well, and they right? don't recognize and they him don't to begin recognize with. him to begin with. Although they do recognize, and you know, they sometimes don't even recognize his voice. Mm-hmm. And then the you know like that scene with Mary at the grave in John, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And then he's talking to her, and then he says her name, and instantly she recognizes him, right? He says Mary, and then, mm-hmm. boom, that's Jesus. I understand. Okay, I know what's going on now. Yeah. So clearly in that stories, in those stories where Jesus isn't recognizable, it, there, part of what's being told here, you know, that, so like the road, the road to Emmaus, when the disciples, uh, two of the disciples run into Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him. Right. He has a whole conversation with them about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they're still like, man, this guy's smart. Like He knows what he's talking about, but yeah. they don't recognize him until they get to the place where they're going and they break bread together. And in that fellowship, he becomes recognizable. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, what does that mean for us when we, when we enter into the, the resurrection? Does that mean that maybe our identities aren't as individualized as we think that they are? So what I mean is, like, maybe it's only in fellowship together that we will truly be able to recognize one another? Like, when we break bread together? Hmm. Will we need to? Will we need to? With that, with that, will you recognize people? Yeah. I think we oftentimes associate people with a place, um, and part of recognizing people is that we are used to seeing the same people in the sort of environment. Yeah, you know, like I can tell it's you walking down the hallway at the church, but if I just ran into you at Costco, well, I know right off the bat that it right. was you. Right. Um, and so I think that kind of messes with my conception of heaven because while I'm saying I think heaven is a place where we've got this new heaven and this new earth and there's this space to explore or discover or yeah. whatever. Like I, I also in that um earlier taught description of just, you know, you're worshiping around the throne, it's just a giant white r- space. Exactly, yeah. Like it's not even a room. It's, right, it's just a right. it's just a 
it's it's like this it's like the uh the version of heaven that you see in bill and ted's bogus journey when they go up to heaven and it's just like a white emptiness yeah and you can't like, even tell that there's a floor yeah, and a yeah, wall right. or you a roof it's anything. just yeah. all and so I, I wonder what kind of form that environment takes right. where does it look anything like what i'm you know right right is it only nature yeah are there is buildings? It truly a garden, right? Or something like that. I mean, there's a mansion with many rooms, right? Or is that just a metaphor, right? Like, ah! I think that context, the point you just made about context is incredibly, uh, is is important because, you, like, you remember, like, when we were in elementary school or whatever, and you, like, ran into your teacher in the shopping Oh, in my shopping gosh, that'd break shopping. your world. It, it's like, what? Ah. You know, not only did it take you a second to realize what was going on, but then you were like, I don't understand. My world just, you know, mm-hmm. my world is falling apart. I don't understand. Like, why are you not in your classroom right now? Right. Yeah. Uh, out of context. <laughs> out of context, right? And now you're talking about a radically different context. So not only are you different, mm-hmm. but everything else is different too. So I can see that being a uh, a huge point, at least as far as we're talking about recognition. I mean, what if I've got a body, but it doesn't look like me, Jay? That's going to trip me out. <laughs> Have you ever seen... Um, movie that came out in the late 90s called What Dreams May Come or Where Dreams May Come. I never know What like Dreams that. May Come. I yeah, never yeah. watched it. Was it Robin Williams? It was Robin Williams. Yeah, I never watched it. He basically, his, he, um, he, has a, he has a, so spoiler alert for What Dreams May Come, but uh, he has a family and uh, you, get a, you get a picture of both heaven and hell in this movie um, because he, he has a family, he has a wife and a, and a kid and the kid dies. Uh, tragically, mm-hmm. and so the wife is, like slides into a deep depression. She ends up killing herself, oh. uh, and then he moves on. Or he kind of he, he, something happens to him, and he ends up dying too. But uh, I don't remember how. Um, and he goes to heaven, and he gets to heaven, and he his boy. You know, he, he's looking for his son, and can't quite find his son. But he uh, he's also looking for his wife, and he finds out that his wife is not um in heaven because she killed herself and she sl- she slid to this deep depression and so now she's in the other place right she's in another place not necessarily hell but so the conception of of what hell and heaven is is kind of like uh particularly with hell in this movie is like if you if you were depressed like that and and you you take your life like whatever your mindset was as you were dying like that's where you're stuck forever so she's like in this eternal place of just oh. depressed despair uh, and so he makes the decision that he's going to go down and rescue her, right? Somehow mm-hmm. he figures out how to do this river of sticks, and there's all kinds of mythological stuff that's going on in the movie. Right. But what's cool to, to connect the point that I'm trying to make here is that his son, like you're always like you're asking questions, like, well, where's the son in all this? Where's the son in all this? And he ends up meeting this black guy uh, uh, who's played by Cuba Gooden Jr. And mm-hmm. this guy's like helping him out, leading them to you know trying to find um, find uh, his wife and, and all this stuff, and that, and that that guy turns out to be his son uh, at the oh. end. So it's like a twist, and so that definitely is a spoiler. But he turns mm. out to be his son the entire time he was helping him, but he doesn't look anything like his son, right? He, right. he looks like Cuba. So and Cuba huh. was really popular for about two weeks in the late nineties, as he was. In I like mean, every really movie, popular. Yeah. He did everything. I hope he <laughs> put some he of that money in the bank. I hope so too, because he ain't making Woo. no money now. Mm-mm. Show they me the showed money. him the money, though. <laughs> Wait for that. So anyway, that, that's a situation where uh, our our prop culture has told us that maybe maybe it's a little different than we think. Mm-hmm. Maybe things aren't as easy as cut dry as we think. Can you think of any other 
uh, references to like pop culture. Now, a lot of our image, again, a lot of our images of heaven and hell come from places like Dante and and Milton more so than scripture. Although there is this, there are there are lots of there are a lot more descriptions of what heaven might be like in scripture than there are of hell for sure. But um, I mean, the classic uh, cartoon version is just you know angels floating on clouds playing right. harps. That's right, and not even that far away, like up in the sky that right, we look at like right now, barely, right? yeah. Uh, and then you get the gates, the golden gates, or the pearly the gates. The pearly and gates, You get like right. St. Peter sitting out there checking people in or whatever. Yep. Um, that, that's, the, that's definitely like the the instant go-to. Everyone will recognize that as heaven if you show that image to them. Right. right? Um, and, you know, there's there's certainly some of that imagery that has actually been drawn from Scripture, right? There, there are some images that are like that, although... Mm-hmm. I don't know how right we get angels uh, and, and how that works. Um, but yeah, I, I remember, like, for instance, like the scene where Isaiah is called in Isaiah chapter 6, and he's kind of mm-hmm. taken up to the Holy of Holies, and he sees these angels who are like, holy, 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 right? Yeah. Uh, and he sees this entire presence fill the temple and uh, of the throne room or whatever. And um, <laughs> you get this, you know, that, that you can, it's very well, easy to read sees, into that. What he sees, what Ezekiel sees are... I would say scary. Yes, yes, and in fact, like it ain't right. There, there is, there is some argument to be made that the words that are being used that are translated angels can sometimes be translated as serpent, and these words are interchangeable sometimes. So, like we think of an angel as like a beautiful woman, generally with wings, and you know, or a very like a young man with wings and an all white with a halo. But in scripture, it's very possible that when when Isaiah is describing these these angels that have six different wings that are covering their eyes and their feet and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fly that they are like flying dragon looking, you know, serpent things that that are terrifying, right? Yeah, um, that's very possible that that's actually what Isaiah is meaning to convey to us. It's possible that you know you get the image of like the Virgin Mary or somebody well, else. Yeah, who the an angel pops those up. look like people. Well, they they do because we read that image. That's not like there's a description of. It like, doesn't say, you know, and it looked like a person. Yeah, right. Or does it? I or have to does go back it? And read yeah, it. you go back and look at it, but uh, most of the time it doesn't, right? Um, so the, this, that would make more sense of why when an angel appears in front of a, a person in scripture, they like just. You know, they fall on the floor. Right, like, if don't you're looking at me. something with a lion on one side and an <laughs> yeah. ox on one side and an eagle yeah. on one side and human on one side. It's yeah. terrifying. I used to sit in bed at night, and there's <laughs> no joke, man, when I was like seven or eight years old, and I would just pray to God, please don't send me an angel. If you have something to say to me, <laughs> tell me in a dream or find some right. other way. But I was terrified Mm-mm. that an angel of the Lord was going to just appear at my at the foot of my bed and be like, Jay, I have a word for you or something like that. And I was just like, please, please, please don't do it, please. Well, did that pray and pay off? How'd you get your call? (laughs) It wasn't by an angel. It wasn't by an angel. (laughs) There you go. Oh, man, that's funny. I hadn't thought about that in a while. Well, so continuing on angels, we yeah. get a few different ways. Those are visions or experience, visions of Ezekiel, Isaiah's experience. We've got the messengers that come to um, Mary and Joseph. But in the Old Testament, we've got the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Yeah. The angel of the Lord appears 
a number yeah. of times. Yeah. Um, and so the word angel is is the same word for messenger, right? So we can, if you drop the the con, if you drop the connotation of of angel and and just think of this is a messenger from the Lord, then I have found it helpful to kind of approach a text in a fresh way, right? Because if I think mm-hmm. I already know what's happening in a passage, um, then I won't spend any time thinking about it. But if I even change a word like from angel to messenger and then think about, well, a messenger can take on any kind of form. A messenger yeah. doesn't have to be the form of the angel that's wrong in my head anyway, right? Right. Um, so that's one way to think you know, about it. That is an interesting point, too. There's days I wonder, did that... Um illustrated bible do more harm than good <laughs> it definitely did <laughs> well you know it lays a foundation right I, but had... I have a tendency even if i'm reading fiction fiction yeah like a novel uh-huh. i don't do a really good job of really trying to imagine what the characters look like in my sure, head sure they're kind um, of faceless yeah i'm just reading the names and associating the text with like this person said this, this person yeah. said that. Like yeah. I don't do a really great job of like building a painting the picture yeah. in my head of what this person looks like. And then and then on the other end of it, you've got folks who are gonna um they make a movie out of a book and they're gonna be like, It looks nothing like the description oh, of the right, book. Right. And I would never be able to tell you that because right. I didn't spend enough time. Yeah, you know, there are some people who can't. You might be one of those people. There's people who actually cannot picture things in their heads. And they don't even know that they can't. Like it's not <gasps> they think they can, but they actually can't. <laughs> Or they just don't know that they can't. Because well, then how does one confirm that they're afflicted? Yeah, I don't know. There's some <laughs> kind of test. I don't know. Um, but that's definitely a thing uh, that some people are, that some people, you know, when they're, they have the resurrected body, they'll be able to do it, I guess. <laughs> 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 to get back to normal, right? Well, I also be able to make a that. magic eye picture work. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that? Sorry. Let's go back to 1994 <laughs> real quick. No, and it pissed me off oh, for like two years. It, it would. It, we got to fix that. I could very it's easy. You just barely kind of cross Sometimes your eyes I could bit. get them. I don't know. I can't be that out of control, James. Man, I don't. Okay. Well, see, that's the. You're just losing out on. We on just some great tigers. Is and there lions a book of those bears? in the library or somewhere? <laughs> yeah, we'll like find one. we got some we'll buried. Definitely find Anybody one. got magic eyes at home? Can you bust those out of the basement? <laughs> bring them up here to the I church. I want to try them again. <laughs> Maybe it's time to bring them back. Maybe we could do some kind of fundraiser go. for the church. In heaven, everybody will be able to picture things in their head and <laughs> do magic eyes. So, uh, so you know, I, I'm when I'm reading novels or something like that, I, I think I, I tend to like insert. Well, I tend to insert. I, I, I do create an image in my head, but it's a lot of times I, I'll also like insert like actors or something in my head too. Like like I'm reading like Darcy. I'm, I'm putting. You know, if I'm reading, if I'm reading Pride and Prejudice, which mm-hmm. I, I do often, uh, you know, Darcy is is you know someone like I don't know George Clooney or something, right? Or I mean, it should be Colin or, Firth. Or Colin Firth, right? I mean, yeah, they're yeah. <laughs> or who's the guy that played him in the the newest well, version? Yeah, that's or for I sure. put myself I in there. A lot of times, I'll put myself in there yeah. as well too. So, have ever been a character in a book for you, James? Have you ever been mm. reading and like you know what? You were the I mean, that looks you, just I, like Nick. You look like Zacchaeus to me. <laughs> 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 Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He was a wee little man, but in the in the resurrection, you won't be so wee. Six one two fifteen. <laughs> Maybe we're gonna go nineteen inch arms now because seventeen might not be big enough if you're six one. Be huge on See, me right now. I don't now, even know. I don't even know what those those measurements <laughs> even mean. Man. I've got a problem, James. <laughs> That's all right. We all do on something.
So angels uh, or messengers of God that appear in the Bible aren't the only people who are around in heaven either. And I don't know. What? I don't know if we want to talk how much we don't want to talk about this, but there's something that's known as you mean like Baptists. And <laughs> that's that's right. They're not there by themselves. <laughs> no, there's this thing. So it, it, particularly in the Old Testament, you get this uh, image of what's called the divine council. Um, and this is why um, this this gets into a weird area because we're so used to thinking about God as God is one, and then you know, so there's only one God, and then we'll get into this kind of trinitarian talk and talk about God as three in one. Mm-hmm. But in the Old Testament, uh, when they describe the kind of the the presence of heaven or or the kingdom of heaven or, or where God is. Uh, God is almost always surrounded by messengers, angels, these kind of things, but also by other beings that are not angels and are not God, but have like roles and duties to fulfill these kind of spiritual beings. Uh, they each have a role to do something. So it, it, it's, it's very, it's very uh, hard not to think about these spiritual beings as kind of like lesser gods or gods that work for God, the Yahweh, the one true God. But this is how the Israelites kind of thought about how the spiritual realm worked. So you get this sense, like in, in Genesis chapter one, right? You know, let us create man in our image. That right. is, that's not Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, you know, Father. According out. to my study Bible, it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That that is that is literally <laughs> Yahweh God talking to the divine council and saying, "Let's create man in our image." Um, that that's the way it was originally understood, you know. And then you get you get like for instance in the beginning of Job, where Yahweh God has called together these spiritual beings and said, "Look at my guy Job, man. Job is righteous. He is great." Mm-hmm. And the adversary, which is where we get the word Hasatan, where we get the word Satan, Satan from, Satan. right, which just means adversary. He's one of those spiritual beings that's hanging out in the divine council, right? And he's there to do his job, which is to be the one who challenges and questions God. And he steps up and says, well, yeah, I mean, of course he's righteous because of all the things you've given him, right? And then they make that deal. Mm-hmm. But you get the you get the image of Satan there as being one of these good spiritual beings that uh, kind of help God run the universe or, or have at least been assigned roles by God to do certain things. So I guess the, question, the first question that I would have then is about... Um, those beings being created right and so like i mean are we still saying god is the creator yes and this divine council is created by god yeah. and so i mean i'm interested in that world where okay i mean i i think we've looked at angels as having different roles we talk about sure. cherubim and yeah, seraphim yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've got the messengers you've got the and then you've got the archangel, archangel and michael yeah. and gabriel and kind of this Steve. idea of like you could be a like are there warrior angels right, or right, right. Um, angel of death? Yeah, angel of the Lord. Um, different monikers for sure. And so that the idea that there could be orders of created beings, I think, is certainly present. It's just a matter of how many orders there are and how, right. what we need to know about. Yeah, I so I, I bring that up just to say that that when we think of what's going on in heaven, sometimes we think about we think about God being there, and we think about angels and we think about sometimes we think about our family members or something like that being there yeah but there if we really read scripture uh from the old testament particularly you and now from revelation like you get this idea that it's a little bit more crowded up there than or wherever heaven is it's a little bit more crowded than than maybe we realize
the question we continue to have is what is there to do? Because we have this conception of life that there's got to be something to do. Right. That, you know, if you were created to be an angel, well, you're out doing angel stuff all Go the out time. Do angel stuff, man. Like you're just angeling it up. What you doing, up. Michael? I'm doing angel stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, he's visiting virgins all day, every day. Like, listen, girl. I'm, I'm, <laughs> sorry, Gabriel. Gabriel, um, what you doing? I'm doing angel stuff. Man. <laughs> right, so then if we're up there or we're wherever heaven is, uh, what does it look like to do resurrected stuff? Resurrected human stuff. Right. Or who knows? I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So it, the question then becomes, you know, what value is there in thinking about these things or talking about these things? You know, uh, I said that Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 wrestles with this a little bit because the people in, in Corinth, and you should never want to be like the people in Corinth, mm-hmm. but the people in Corinth were all about this. They were like talking about the resurrected body all the time and being like, well, this is what I think it's going to be like. And this is mm-hmm. what I, and they were arguing and fighting about it because that became the thing, right? And they're arguing and fighting about a lot of things. But Paul's like, guys, that is the dumbest conversation I've ever heard anyone ever have. Who knows what the resurrected body is going to be like? You know, the point is that you have this hope. The point mm-hmm. is that you will have a resurrected body, not what's it going to be like. You know, it's not a situation where, you know, where you're <laughs> you're begging for food and someone offers you food. and You're like, well, let me can I choose from a menu or can I can I pick, you know, can I pick what I what I actually want? Um, and again, I, 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 I keep going back to this thing where this is true of this situation, but it's also true of so many other situations. Well, we just have a profound lack of imagination in what is possible uh, and what God has prepared for us. And I don't think a lot of people spend too much time worrying about what their resurrected body is going to look like. Yeah. And I guess there is a piece of me that wonders if maybe um, taking a little bit of time to consider it yeah. isn't beneficial. And I, don't, I don't think that it's wrong. You know, it's, um, it's just but certainly I wouldn't want it to... Uh, prevent us from fulfilling our more immediate objective right and well and i wouldn't want i think more more problematically i wouldn't want it to become a a a wall between us you know a difference between us where you think it's a spiritual soul thing and i think it's a physical uh, body thing and now we can't worship together right because you know that's the most important thing in the world what's our Mm -hmm. what's our resurrected body going to be like rather than loving one another right So here's a real question, though, and I'm going to ask you this because we were just talking about the blessing of the pets before we got on the air here t- today. Uh-oh. And I got a question. Do all dogs go to heaven, Nick, or is that just a cartoon? Well, considering that it can't possibly have much eternal significance, yes. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching uh, <laughs> for some dumb reason i started started with kiefer i started watching fox and the hound mm-hmm. and i got like halfway through that movie where i was like this is just devastating we gotta watch oh, something yeah, it's else. sad it's, it's sad real. even before you get to the yeah. end but if you make well, it because the, the end, dog is abused to begin with yeah, right like, right i mean yeah well you know there's a lot going on in that movie it's yeah. just devastating but i don't know why i'd ever why would i ever even start down that path well what's funny about so much of those things that we watched as a kid is we didn't 
really internalize how devastating yeah. many of them were. I think um, the very beginning of Finding Nemo really scarred one of my kids. For real? Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. We'd I, have to skip like the first 10 minutes because... Oh, that, so I saw that in the theater when it came out. Yeah. And I went with uh, I went with a group of my friends, all my age, and I think we were we must have been in our early 20s, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, and, and we're sitting in there, and obviously the place is packed out with kids, right? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, and, you know, and the mother disappears off the screen, right? And she's, she's right. obviously dead or whatever. And the whole room is just silent. And you hear this one little girl, where'd she go? <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. I, it just broke my heart. Like yeah. I, I was like, "Oh yep. my god, I can't watch this." But you Those Disney it, movies are always killing parents. Leave man. it to Disney or Pixar. Yeah, nobody gets. I, nobody has a really <laughs> awesome, stable home life. <laughs> yeah, that's so Disney can come in and fix it. I guess. I Is guess that the so. message? Is that the overall message we're trying to give? Nick, we uh, we've talked a lot about heaven today, and then some of the, some of the people who are up in heaven, or around in heaven, or whatever preposition you <laughs> use to talk about heaven. Um, the big the big person that we've kind of left out so far, and it maybe deserves its own podcast. But yeah, I, you know, we, before we started, we were talking about this a little bit, and the, the person we've kind of left out here is uh, the big God, but you know, big God. Yeah, and uh, you had some thoughts you wanted to share, but uh, I'm I'm curious as to as to uh, what's on your mind. Well, so let me just tee this up because yeah, tee it up. Um, I came to you a while back and I was like, you know, Jay, I'd like to do some more reading. I quit reading when I went back to get my master's degree. Um, I quit reading for fun. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Kids, wife, work, home, school, like there was just no way to yeah. also read for fun. Yeah. Um, and I found that I didn't have the attention span for it. Right. Um, I don't well, you can, train, you can train that to a certain degree. but So... And I used to read a lot recreationally, so it's not like I've never been a reader. I just didn't have the time for it, didn't make the time for it. But We get busy. Um, I decided recently that I'm going to cut out some of the social media scrolling oh, and start good. reading. Good. Um, so I came to you and I said, hey, what are some things, you know, I'd like to read some some theological, philosophical, right. you know, like just yeah, get some education, you know, in the process. <laughs> And you recommended a book um, by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Yeah. That is called... The uh, Knowledge of the Holy? The Knowledge... Is that... Or the Knowledge of God? The Knowledge of the Holy. Knowledge of the Holy. Um, I've got a copy of it. Another copy of it. Well, that's what I'm reading. Okay. The Knowledge of the Holy. Yeah. All right. Um, And it was published, what, 50s or 60s? Yeah, I think 61 or something like that. Yeah. Um, And relatively easy to read... Yeah. Um, Because it's short bites. The chapters are pretty short. Right. Um, And it just kind of like each chapter is an attribute of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he wouldn't like me using the word attribute. Right. Um, Right. He wouldn't. He definitely (laughs) wouldn't. And and, and he's writing that book exactly for someone that was in your position that was kind of wanting to learn this kind of stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's kind of like a C.S. Lewis figure in in that way. Uh, though, like I think an American version. He's American, yeah. Uh, it, but he's also like he starts. I think this is the book where he starts off by saying basically like the reason why we don't we don't know anything as Christians, or the reason why we have all these confusions about being Christian, or or something to that effect, is that we don't read anymore. 
Like we don't read the the theologians. We don't read the the traditions. Yeah, we he, don't read the stuff that came before us. What he started out, and I haven't finished the book yet, but he kind of attacked the common man for not thinking about God. Right. right. Like we don't we don't respect God, and because we don't we don't think about God, we yeah. don't have a good healthy understanding of God because we haven't taken the time to try to imagine, you know, what does it mean when we talk about God? Right. Right. Um, and, and it's coming up against like some of the stuff I've heard you talk through in different settings about what does it mean when we say God is omnipotent or omniscient or right. omnipresent. Um, All and those a, omni words. Yeah. The Greek understanding yep. of God mm-hmm. versus, versus the Hebrew, Hebrew understanding mm-hmm. of God. And so he's kind of taken those things on. And there's certain chapters that as I flip through it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah, that fits with kind of <laughs> checking checking boxes. What I'm what I'm getting to, but he got me. There's a chapter on the immutability of God. Okay. Which first of all, it took me a minute to figure out what he meant by immutability. What is he talking about? Um, Explain to the people. So immutability. Um, I realized that the word was. Um, based off the same like derivative that we would use for mutation. Right. And or so X-Men. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and so God can't mutate. Right. God can't change. God can't change. God has to be who God has always been and will always be. Because God is perfect. Right. And change would imply that, that God is not perfect. And so it goes along with like God doesn't learn. Right. Because God knows everything, there is no need to learn. Right. And so it left me kind of going, oh, I don't, I don't know on this chapter if I would have to spend some more time thinking about that because my gut response was, but I feel like in Scripture we see God kind of change his tactics on things yeah yeah and and he's petitioned to change his tactics on things right and so how would that fit into this yeah conception of a god that can't change or can't learn because he doesn't need to right so am i interpreting scripture to say that god is changing his mind and he's not really changing his mind right or does God not really have to be completely unchangeable in order to be God? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the big, big questions that the church wrestled with uh, early on and, and continues to wrestle with. Um, I, I, did, where you, have you come down in a certain place in that? Or is I mean, well, kind of wrestling with it? Uh, Tozer would be mad at me because I haven't thought about it right. that much more <laughs> yeah. after I got through that chapter. <laughs> because it just kind of left me like, huh. Yeah. And there's this point where I thought, um, oh, so this is what these theologians are doing. Like they're like all of a sudden it occurred to me, like this is the kind of stuff you think about. Yeah, it's just the stuff you wrestle with. Um, that I've never like said, you know what, this weekend I'm going to contemplate the immutability of God and <laughs> see what I think about Let's it. See what comes up. I will say, um, as a way to help you process some of that stuff, you know, a, a lot of theologians end up in the same place where we always end up, which is to say it's a mystery, 
right? Yeah. And you do want to, you do want to always end up there, even though you want to, you want to learn a little bit about God. But at the end of the day, if you can describe God in any way, then you're not really talking about God. So there, there, there are certain things that you have to be mm-hmm. careful about. So, but this kind of immutability of God has always been th- something that's, that's, Hmm. Not the first person it, it, to go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's something that I've wrestled with myself, and I think is a fundamental. Like it fundamentally, pick it fundamentally colors the way that we look at God and what kind of relationship we think we can have with God. Like, what kind of relationship could you have with someone who could never change, who couldn't have emotion, and who couldn't change their mind? This, this doesn't sound like a healthy relationship, right? So, so already when we're talking about a relationship with God, that's not really a relationship. It's it's something that we we that word is not a a good word to use if God is immutable, if God is unchangeable. Well, because anything that's wrong with the relationship has to do with us, right? And and that's and that hey, and that's what we say. We do say that, right? Mm-hmm. But this whole idea that God is immutable in the first place comes from a Greek understanding of God and not from a Hebrew understanding of God. The God that we see in the Old Testament is mutable. I hate to say it. I hope that doesn't upset anybody, but he is a God who literally, the text tells us, changes his mind, repents of things. God Mm -hmm. repented of creating the world when, you know, right before the flood. And he regretted doing the flood after that. Right, yeah. So so we have... and this. and you can say, and we can, it's easy to step back and say, well, that's how we perceive it. And that's not how it actually has, that's not actually a God, because we're trying to preserve both a God that looks like he changes, but doesn't actually change. Right. Trying to hold both of those things. And, and what we end up doing is, is not just listening to what the scripture says. The scripture mm-hmm. says, this is what happens. So this is what we're going to go with. Not to mention the fact that the incarnation is one of the biggest kinds of change that you can possibly do, right? God becomes a human being. That's not, yeah. that's not, that is a mutation on the highest level. Right. <laughs> right. So scripture is, and we definitely have a God who has emotion, who's passionate and personal and who wants to be in relationship with us. And I think a relationship where there is a little give and take, it's not necessarily, you know, it's not, you know, God doesn't mess up and, and stuff like that, but even in saying that, right? What am I saying? That God can't learn. Although you get the sense that, and again, maybe just from our perspective, you get the sense in creation story when God creates Adam, that he is lear- he's kind of learning as he goes on how to be in relationship with Adam because he's like, well, it's not good that Adam's alone. And the first thing he does is right. sends him all the Bring animals. Bring all the to, animals. Right? To, and he's like, oh, well, it, it, I guess make this isn't going to work. I guess let's make him a woman. Right? So hmm. you get that sense that God Sorry, is, that was... Uh, that We meant create a woman for him not turn him into a woman just <laughs> we do have to be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um sorry i got i got derailed but um so the, the 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 kind the character of god that we are presented with in scripture is a god who does change now that being said there is one aspect of god that does not change and that is his character in the sense that he is a god of love mm-hmm. and everything else that comes from god whether it is his grace his mercy or his judgment and his wrath, all of those come from a place of love. And so God is love is always true. That doesn't change. When you brought up the incarnation of Christ, it made me think about um, kind of the Muslim understanding of God doesn't allow for that incarnation right for this exact reason yeah yeah for this exact reason that god is unchangeable because he doesn't need to change and so he couldn't possibly become yeah human yeah 
and and this was the this was the uh, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians uh, chapters one and two, where he talks about this is what's known as the stumbling block to the Greeks. The reason why the Greek world had a very hard time, the Roman world had a very hard time accepting this understanding of Jesus, was because you're describing God as somebody that can change, and that's not possible from a logistics or a logical point of view. Right. God is perfect. And if God is perfect, God cannot change. Because to change is to imply that God needs to change in order to be perfect. But he's already mm-hmm. perfect. It's what Aristotle called the, the unmoved mover. The unmoved mover of the universe. Hmm. Right? But <laughs> I, I find that picture of God to be very cold. But it is the version of God that you get in some folks like deists, like Thomas Jefferson and some of the other founding fathers. Yeah, it's God who's kind of far, who kind of threw the universe into motion and then walks away and watches. No, it from a does distance. feel, yeah, it does feel cold. Yeah, and, and that isn't the, that's not the God we have in Scripture. Well, and that's not the God that that I, I believe exists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or yeah, not the God I'm in a relationship with. The I couldn't be in relationship with that God. I don't think. So that leaves us with a different version of God. The immutability of God is is it doesn't say enough about right. who God is now. The, the other side of that coin is, if you go the other way, because it just seems like, okay, well, right. let's just diss the immutability of God. God is mutable. Let's go. Rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a God. But then what else? You know, now you've got a God that can that can truly uh, be a, as much of a terror as he is a, a father and a love, uh, you know, a lover of, of us. Uh, you got a God who could be at the whims of his emotions, you know. you got a God who can be... Um, uh, can't be counted on to be steadfast. You got a God, you know, what God, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, and this is, this is where I get back to again. So we say all that, we say all that about God. Um, but here's the thing. It, it gets back to mystery. We don't know. Because here's what, here's we're doing the same thing with God that we try to do with heaven. We're trying to project an image of God using our very small and limited imaginations. And what mm-hmm. we end up doing, more than anything, is just projecting what we think a perfect man or woman might look like. Right. Or what God, you know, God is not just a bigger version of me. <laughs> yeah. We only have the ability to give God traits we understand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it may be, it may be that the way that the biblical writers are, are, are relating their relationship to God to us, God is not the one that's changing. It is the perception of the people that are changing. And there's a way to talk about that that has meaning, I think. That being said, you know, when I pray for for God to do something in the world, I have faith that God is going to do it. And if God doesn't do it, I know that there's a reason and a purpose and a will behind that. Well, I don't think that okay, God is so not going to move or change. That is a really, I think that's a really excellent example because for a period of time, I th- went through a thought process of, well, you know, why pray? Yeah. If I'm going to pray... God, this is what I really want to happen, but your will be done. Yeah. Well, wasn't he going to do what <laughs> he was, he was going to do, do anyway? anyway? Yeah. Well, that's when you step in and say something that is very true, which is that prayer is not really about changing God. It's about changing you, right? It's, it's that By praying that, what you've done is aligned your will with God's will. Mm-hmm. And that changes who you are. It changes how you see the world, and it changes your response to whatever outcome of that prayer happens, whether it's answered the way you want or not. Your spirit will be at ease and acceptance if you truly have bent mm-hmm. your will to God's. That prayer is what does that, right? So it's not about God changing God's but, mind. But. but what is funny to me about that is realizing that that version of me was influenced by this 
theological idea I didn't even know existed at the time. Yeah, yeah. That was a thing that has been debated. Yeah. Um, well, these because things, in my mind it was like, well, God doesn't need to change anything. God's going to do what God does. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. It takes me back to Zoolander and the piano key necktie, and you know, like. <laughs> You know, you got Let's that out of a J.C. Penney's catalog because it was high fashion ten years ago. Like, <laughs> no, right? That's the reason why well, you're wearing that happens. color blue now. So that's what happens. That's why the the work that biblical scholars and theologians are doing, you know, now and and have done for two thousand years, all that stuff gets disseminated and trickles down into the church, into the into the unreflected. And this is what Tozer I think was talking about into the kind of unreflective uh, world of of just the basic everyday Christian because we all have our own. We all do the thinking uh, of God in our own way, at our own time or whatever, mm-hmm. but these ideas are being given to you through sermons that you hear, through Sunday school teachers that, you know, yeah. these ideas are getting to you just like, you know, it's a trickle down kind of situation right. where eventually there's so much in the air that we breathe that you can't pick, you, can, you couldn't point and say, well, that's in the immutability of God, <laughs> right. of God. Yeah. but you know, but it's there, it's, it's gotten into you. Well, and, and just I, that's true of so much. Well, so and much I have we taken think. the position, I think, in the past, uh, doing something like this, picking up a really a th- philosophical, theological book and saying, I'm going to read this. I'm, I want to think yeah. about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the past, I have just said, you know, for the last 2,000 years, there's a lot of guys who have thought a lot of stuff and spent way more time and energy thinking about it than I have. Yeah. And so, does it, profit me to think about it right after you know all these other folks smarter than i have have thought about it and come up with different answers right and still disagree with each other over this stuff yeah um now i'm kind of drawing down from just thinking about god but just sure you know given the nature of christianity and its many denominations at this point yeah yeah like we all say we fundamentally agree on this but there's all these little pieces that that we don't disagree on, and so, um, you know. Well, I'd say that, let me say it like this: I, I think there absolutely is value in in in. It has nothing to do with like intelligence or learning or anything. It has everything to do with like the humble kind of uh, mentality by which you approach this. You know, you want to learn more about God, and you want, and we do that by talking to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ about their relationship and what they understand, and that's what you're doing by reading the Tozer book. And for me, for instance, I don't want to be a CPA, but mm-hmm. there's much that you would probably tell me that there's a lot of value in learning how to do math, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's a lot of value in learning how to understand how accounting works at, you know, certain, a basic kind of level. Um, and so, you know, there, there's, you know, I'm, I don't want to become, you know, great, uh, a CPA. You don't want to become like a, you know, a, t- a tozer or whatever. Yeah. I'm not but, planning on moving to a cabin in the woods and writing a book. <laughs> right. So, but there's still value. We become fuller versions of who we're supposed to be as we have these conversations with each other. Um, and I think that's, that is moving us toward the resurrection. You know, um, that is a fun, that is a fun analogy. I, cause just today you had to ask me how to do something on spreadsheet. On spreadsheet. I was like, I have no idea how to do and this. I, I hate Excel. <laughs> but that was a very like introductory thing for me in the world of Excel. Right. And I can only imagine, you know, at what point does the philosophy professor hand everybody that Tozer book? You know, like, is that something that everybody reads in the ninth grade? You teach like, me how to add up columns in Excel. Right. I'll teach you what the immutability of God is. Right, exactly. We'll exactly. We're going to be good friends. Yeah.
Well, Nick, I think that's going to wrap up our conversation for today. That's a that was a good talk uh, about the character and nature of heaven and some of the people who populated. I suppose. Yeah. Um, do you have any final words for the people at Northside Church? This was a fun one to do. This is to me. This conversation got back to the roots of why we why developed we this. this. Place. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. just you coming into my office and I going, James, I got a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we just talked through some yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, this so good. I, yeah, I really enjoyed this. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope to see you around the church. And uh, Nick, I thank you for being here today. Happy to be here. If you don't have a Sunday school class and you want to come to mine, WWJD in room 300 at 1010 on Sunday mornings. And if you don't want to go to Nick's, you can come to mine. It's in the chapel at 1010. Um, so come join us. And we'll see you there. Peace. Peace.